This is Bo Buchanan, Arizona Lodge number two, and I'm here speaking on the level with Michael Seibert, who's visiting from Potomac Lodge in Washington, D.C. And Michael, why don't you start out by telling me your full name, mm-hmm. the name of your home blue lodge, and any offices or titles you have connected to that lodge. Uh, hello, my name is Mike Seibert. Uh, I'm from Potomac Lodge number five in Washington, D.C. I am the sitting worshipful master. And tell me about the occasion of why you're here in Phoenix today. Uh, we came out to Phoenix uh, this weekend to help lay the cornerstone for the new Vietnam Veterans Memorial. In Gilbert, actually, in sorry. In Gilbert, uh, Arizona. And uh, tell me, you're, you're traveling with uh, George Washington's gavel. So, yeah, so uh, Potomac Lodge is the custodian of the George Washington gavel, which was the gavel used by George Washington to lay the cornerstone of the U.S. Capitol building in 1793. It was subsequently used to lay... You lay the cornerstone to several other buildings by other presidents and other luminaries. And how is it you got connected to being on this team traveling with the gavel? Well, the nice thing about being master is you get to choose who gets to go. <laughs> and so I chose myself. Interesting how yeah, that happened. Shocking. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Have you done a lot of these? Uh, this is actually only my second uh, real gavel trip. Uh, wow. I've done some smaller ones. You know, we take the gavel for our lodge at least once a year for our installation of officers. And I've gone to accompany the gavel for the Grand Lodge of D.C.'s installation of officers. Okay. So what, I'm going to step away from that for a minute, and we'll mm-hmm. get back to that. But tell me, do you remember when you first heard of this thing called Freemasonry? Um, not really. Um, I guess I was kind of aware of it. Like, it kind of popped up in my consciousness growing up a little bit. Um, I remember when the movie National Treasure came out. And it was something that... I guess it's probably from history class and, you know, learning about, and really more than George Washington, it was actually Benjamin Franklin that I remember as being a Mason. Hmm. Um, and so when did you start to investigate it? I started investigating in college. Uh, a friend of mine uh, from school and a friend of my brother's, uh, we were going to the same school for a brief period. Um, we were in Myrtle Beach one night. He was on vacation. That's where my parents lived. That's where we would go home for the holidays. And he was visiting, and we were just shooting the shit one night. And uh, I don't even remember how Masonry came up that night, but it did. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, I went and I wanted to do something with my dad. Uh, brother's name is Anthony Wirtz. And I wanted to do something with my dad, and we were looking for something we could do together. And we couldn't do Knights of Columbus because I'm not Catholic. And so we came on doing Masonry. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, that sounded interesting. I, you know, I've heard about it seemed interesting, you know, what would it take to get in? And he says, honestly, I'll, I'll put you in touch with someone. He put me in touch with Jeremy Barnes, who uh, you just interviewed. And um, I didn't really know that much about it, and I was in school, so I was kind of trapped. That's how you met Jeremy? Uh, I had met Jeremy or known of Jeremy before that, but okay. that was, yeah, the first time I really met him. Um, and so I was in school. I was uh, probably a junior at that point. And he had me, he said, hey, you know, my lodge is in D.C. And I had no way to get to D.C. at all. So uh, I kind of kept in the back of my mind. I kept the petition. And when I moved to D.C. after college, I, you know, looked him back up. and. Well, how long was that period then? Uh, it was probably about three or four years. Okay, wow. Three or four years, you kept it, kept that in mind that yeah. when you moved to D.C. Yep. Uh, yeah, I said, hey, you know, I'm in D.C. now, you know, tell me about masonry again. So in that three or four year period, did you do any other investigating or visit any other lodges or anything like that? I didn't that? visit any lodges. Uh, another friend of mine from school, uh, his name was Rick, 
I had joined a lodge where he grew up in Vermont, and okay. he was trying to get guys to come join his lodge, and really didn't work out. The uh, state of South Carolina, the Grand Lodge there, does not give waiver, waivers of jurisdiction. Since I was a South Carolina resident, I had to get their permission. Oh, okay. And they also don't allow one-day degrees, which was the other thing that they were going to, uh, the other way that Vermont does it for people who are out of state. So I kind of hit a very strong wall at that point. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I was like, okay, well, this isn't working right now. I'll just pick it up later. So, uh, yeah. So then you moved to D.C. Sorry, I cut you off before. Yeah. So I moved to D.C. Uh, I'd been in town for not very long, like two months, uh, before I uh, I reached out and I started going to Potomac. I went a couple times and they said, oh yeah, you know, great, great to see you. Uh, you know, have you been to any other lodges? No, I haven't. You should go to some other lodges. Really? Okay. Um, where should I go? <laughs> like, I've, and they said, well, you know, you should go to, like Naval Lodge. That's a pretty good lodge. You can go to Singleton Lodge. You can go to Alexandria Lodge. And um, I went to Naval Lodge, and it was a really cool space, but I didn't have the same connection with the, the guys there. And so I put in my petition. I started going in, like, October. I put in my petition in January, and I was still living in Maryland, so they had to get away from Maryland. And so it took about a year for the paperwork to go through. Wow, holy cow. Yeah, well, what happened was the Grand Lodge told the Grand Lodge of D.C., but somewhere they forgot to tell each other or they forgot to tell the Lodge that the waiver was given. So by the time... waiting and... Yeah, so I still went every single week or every single meeting. Uh, That's impressive. So I'd show up, I'd have dinner with the guys, I'd go into the meeting, I'd stay outside, I'd chat with the Tyler a little bit. I'd clean up the the refectory, the uh, where we'd uh, eat dinner, you know, just put stuff away and put things in the trash. And then when they were done, uh, I'd hang out for a little bit longer, and usually someone would give me a ride home at the end of the night. <laughs> wow, that's dedication there. Well, I figured eventually they'd get tired of looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> so you did that for a year, and then yep. finally came through. Yep. And then how long did it take you to, before you became raised? Uh, I was initiated in just excuse me. I was initiated in November of 2008. It was actually uh, Worship Brother Barnes's Warden's Night. Oh. So uh, his Warden's Night, he his goal for that year was to kind of clean out the backlog of people waiting for degrees. So that's what he did for his Warden's Night, and that's when I was initiated. And then I was raised in May of 2009. May of 2000. So that was the year that he was master. He yep. was telling me about that. Um, so. 2009, so flash forward, 9, 10, 11, So seven years later, yep. your Worshipful Master. Yep. Kind of cool. Uh, one of the things I always like to ask is if Worshipful Master, is there is there a theme or an agenda or something you're trying to accomplish this year as, as Worshipful Master? Uh, I've got a couple goals. Uh, one of the goals is I want to bring more of a practical or useful education to the Lodge. Um they talk about in masonry and days gone by kind of thing that you would join the lodge and that was one of the things that would set you up for life because you were meeting the people that you needed to meet and you were learning the things you needed to learn uh, when you didn't have formal education or a lot less formal education you had to have a way to develop develop people uh, that didn't have as much uh, you know they didn't go to school for 12 years growing up you know to get a high school diploma they'd go to school for a few years and then they'd go work and so it's one of those things of, okay, so that seems like a good idea. We can all use a little bit more education. We can all use thinking long uh, more. Clearly, I'm not thinking all that strongly right now, though. <laughs> um, so 
I really was at a loss for kind of an in-lodge programming theme, but I hit on, hey, I want to do the liberal arts and sciences, the seven liberal arts and sciences. Very important. It's a really structured program. It should be pretty easy to execute. And so I sat down um, early last year when I was a senior warden getting ready. I talked to the junior warden. I said, hey, this is what I want to do. And he looked at me and said, you've got to be kidding me. Because he had the same exact idea. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And he's uh, he's a musician, um, amongst other things. But his he really wanted to do music and art for his thing for his year. And so here I was, was you know, kind of stealing his, his idea, sort of, or not at all. But and I said, okay, well, if you want to do that side of the house, why don't I do the other side? So I'll do the trivium, which is uh, rhetoric logic and grammar and so I said okay I can do that and I kind of shifted to a theme on the power of language so in the if you look at the political discourse in the country today or the lack of political discourse in the country today I was screaming yelling at each other <laughs> right I wanted to talk about or try to lay some groundwork for discussion uh, in the fall of why is it that the two sides talked at each other, but they don't seem to understand each other. And so, doing a little bit of that, a little bit of, and a little bit of this practical education of this, hey, you know, what is logic? Why is logic important? Why is rhetoric important? Why is grammar important? That was a fascinating discussion. And guy, it was, um, ended up in a discussion on uh, modern communication. And is a tweet, is a text message, really the way we want to go as a form of communication versus sitting down and doing an interview. Uh, you have to think in coherent, longer thoughts, and you're not trying to be witty. You're just trying to convey ideas and themes. And um, it was a really, really good discussion. It was a good way to get started in the year. I, I like the way you said that because it really is. there. You, how much can you convey in 140 characters? Exactly. Enough to grab somebody's interest, but really there's no meat there. That is that is the problem is today that communication, everybody wants to boil it down to a soundbite. You know, I used to work in TV and that's what we, we want, the soundbite. You might do a 20-minute interview, but they take, you know, 30 seconds out right. and that's the piece. That's one of the things I like about this interview here I'm doing is this whole thing is published from beginning to end, no mm -hmm. editing. This is it. Yeah. So that's important. Um, something else just to, uh, something else I found really interesting is another sit master this year, the sitting master at Federal Lodge Number 1 in D.C., his program is on civility. So again, a very similar thought process. Timely. Yeah. yeah. So. So in your time in masonry, can you think of some stories you'd like to share, either a, a funny story or something really important to you, um, mm. something that's very memorable? There's been quite a few. Um, what I tend to tell people whenever they ask me why I'm in the fraternities, because some of the most amazing men I've met have been through the fraternity. Um, so I was traveling to Seoul, Korea for work, uh, 2009. I was a brand new Mason. It was like, that trip would have been August or September of 2009. So I've been a, ma a master Mason for all of four or five months. And, um, what's the first thing that a lot of Masons do whenever they go someplace new? It's like, oh, I want to see if there's a lodge around. <laughs> Where's the lodge I can go visit? <laughs> so I, I'm brand new and wet behind the ears still. And, uh. I went to the secretary, he's like, hey, you know, I'm going to go to Korea, you know, there are lodges there. He's like, uh, yeah, so you need to call the Grand Lodge. 
you get a letter of, uh, letter of travel saying, hey, this bear, the bearer of this letter is a member in good standing of a lodge in D.C. Please, you know, accept them as such. And um, I looked up a lodge, and I don't even remember the name of the lodge, but I met in a business club in Seoul. And so I showed up at, it was in a private club, and so I showed up, and I said, hey, I'm here for the lodge meeting. And they looked at me and said, okay, well, it's on the second floor. I walk up, and there's a bar on the second floor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm here for the lodge. Oh, it's in the room over there. So I walk up, and it's like, hi, I'm here for the lodge. And they look at me like, oh, okay, well, great to have you. Um, and so they said, okay, so uh, we need to, uh, you know, vet you. Showed them my letter, and they said, okay, um, prove to me that you're a mason. So I took this very proper English gentleman on the five points of fellowship. And he was a little bit taken aback <laughs> because apparently that's not what they were expecting. Oh, interesting. And so, um, like I said, I was new and I really didn't know what they were looking for. Uh, I'd, the only other time I'd visit a lodge, uh, and I'll get to that story later, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and so the guy looked at me and said, okay, well, you're obviously a mason, I'm going to have to go find someone from the U.S. to figure out what's going on here. That's funny. Um, but I sat, uh, sat in Lodge, and they were getting ready, and they said, hey, I want you to come meet someone. Okay. So they took me back out into the bar and said, hi, you know, this is, and I don't remember the gentleman's name, but this is the ambassador from Ireland to South Korea. No kidding. Yeah. Oh, Wow. So he wasn't a mason, he was just a member of the club, but they went drinking with him all the time because he was Miracle. always out in front of the lodge, yeah. Um, the first time I visited a lodge uh, outside of D.C., and probably the first time I visited a lodge, period, was I was in uh, Rhode Island, and I was driving down to New York with, a, uh, with my friend Rick, the, uh, another brother. And uh, I was up in Rhode Island for a work trip, and we were driving down to New York to visit a friend. And we're driving through Connecticut, and I'm like, okay, so we can either go to a lodge and see if we can find a lodge meeting, or we can have dinner. Well, let's go to a lodge meeting. <laughs> of course. Maybe you'll have dinner if you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, on, I'm on my phone or on his phone, driving down the interstate, looking on the Grand Lodge of Connecticut's website, looking for a lodge that happens to be meeting uh, that night, and we found one. Cool. And we showed up. And they were meeting on the EA degree that night, thankfully, because that was the degree I knew the best. Like, I'm pretty sure I could pass any proficiency there. And uh, went through and uh, just had a really nice meeting. They were, it was just, it was, it was fascinating uh, for both those times and every other lodge I've been to since then. Of uh, you walk in, you don't know what you're expecting, but you are expecting, and it proves every single time, those guys love having you there. Yep special to have visitors it yeah, always is it's special to have visitors um, and you're you're instantly accepted you're a brother yep and that sense of bond is really special to me um, and sometimes you know the guy's a plumber that you know works down the street and sometimes the guy is you know some international dignitary that you, know, you just never know who you're going to meet but they're always amazing people so you hit on something already that I was going to ask you is what what is what are you getting out of Freemasonry? Why do you keep going? Uh, like I said, so a lot of the most amazing people, and one of my theories on life is if you're around other really interesting people, and I hope that I'm interesting, I think that I am, uh, that's the way you're going to make yourself better. Um, if you're a Ashler that's trying to become a better Ashler, it helps to have 
other people on that journey and that if a lot of them have gotten a lot closer than I will probably ever be, but you see how they approach life, you see how they approach the craft, you see what they do and you can uh, adopt some of those mannerisms, those thought processes, that style, that um, way of life as your own. It's a lot easier when you see someone else doing that. You know, it's funny you say that because there's a, I have a friend, a brother in my lodge, his name's Mike DiGiacomo, and mm-hmm. I interviewed him, and one of the things he said he does is exactly what you're talking about. He takes, when he meets somebody and they become important, he takes something from them mm-hmm. and he makes it a part of himself, and that's, that's I think, part of the Masonic Brotherhood. You're, t- you're saying the exact same thing, and I mm-hmm. feel that way too. And uh, so what is it that you... Um, you, do you have any hopes or dreams in masonry, things you still want to do, places you want to go? Um, well, I'd like to travel to a bunch more places. Um, I've been to lodges in D.C., Virginia, Maryland, Connecticut, Rhode Island, oh. um, Ontario, Korea, Singapore. You've traveled a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to go, oh, and now Arizona. No, Arizona. Well, sort of. I haven't been to an actual lodge meeting here, but... Um, Unfortunately. Yeah. I, there's a lot more places I'd like to go. Um, there, As far as, like, offices and titles, I'm actually kind of struggling with that right now. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, my progression through the line as an officer. I started off as a tiler, and I am positive that... I was Tyler for a year because they thought I needed a year to cool off. <laughs> and to cool off, huh? Oh. Well, I was the guy that was outside cleaning up for a year before I was even a member. I spent uh, the entire time I was going through the degrees helping out in the kitchen as a steward. And so when they asked me, hey, you know, do you want to be an officer? What do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a junior deacon. I know there's a lot of open slots in the lodge, and I feel like I've already been a steward. And they said, okay, we want you to be Tyler. <laughs> they humbled you immediately. Yeah, they did. <laughs> Which it turns out is kind of something that Potomac does. Um, and some guys accept that and some guys don't. The guys that don't accept it will go to another lodge and usually do amazing things there. But for Potomac, that's something that's been pretty consistently a... a I don't know what the word would be, but... For them, it, that's important that you realize that it's not about you. Right, right. Uh, and so that year was a little painful in a lot of ways. I was sitting outside the lodge. I wasn't inside the lodge. Another year. Another year. Right. Um, wow. It was, it was interesting. And I tend to be quiet when I'm in company that I'm not quite sure of. Uh, if I'm, Or the way I put it is that I'm a type A personality when I need to be type A personality. And I need to be type A when there aren't any other ones, because otherwise you just have a bunch of people standing at e- and looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, masonry tends to have a lot of type A's. Yes, so I tend to be a little little more quiet. I don't need to chip in on the conversation because uh, so that was something else that they uh, had to teach me, which was speaking up. Because, and I've had people say, like, you have really good ideas. You should probably talk about them a little bit more sometimes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I've already been listening to somebody talk for 10 or 15 minutes on something. I don't really need to add another five minutes of discussion to say maybe the same thing, more or less. So, right. Yeah. 
Um, so can you, speaking of, can you think of, uh, are there brothers who have affected you? So it sounds like you learned a couple pretty important lessons here. Yeah. Are there brothers who have really stood out as good teachers to you as, as men who kind of embody what we think of as Freemasonry who have really made a difference to you? Tons. They, um, drop some names. Drop some names. People. Uh, let's see here. All right. So I'm going to start with Dean Clatterbuck, which if Jeremy didn't mention, I'll be shocked. He did. Uh, Dean was uh, master in the 70s of his lodge. His lodge merged with Potomac uh, also back in like the 70s. He became lodge uh, secretary for like 20, 25 years. Uh, this is a guy that spends... That's what was important to him, was the Blue Lodge. He does stuff with the Grand Lodge, and he would probably be able to run for Grand Master if he really wanted to uh, and win. Uh, he's that well-respected in the jurisdiction, but that's not what was important to him. What was important is the Blue Lodge and making sure the Lodge operates. And any time that he says something, you better be listening because it's worth listening to. Uh, another uh, brother that's been very influential is Worship Brother Laughlin, who unfortunately passed away this year. Oh. Um, so I guess on the, uh, I hate to say even remotely anything uh, good about it, but I was the master for it, so I got to be involved in the Masonic funeral for him, which, again, it was, it, it's something that was valuable for me. Um, it's a to touching be, moment. I've got to do yeah. a couple of Masonic funerals, and it's just very special. Even if you don't know, let alone if you know the person, but even when you don't know them, which has been the case for all of funerals I've done, yeah. it's a very special ceremony. Right. So that was something that was, um, I wish he was still with us, but I'm glad that I was able to be involved in saying goodbye to him. Uh, and he's a guy, uh, what we talk about is he wore his, uh, his class on his sleeve. He's just so warm and welcoming, and he was very successful in life. But he would talk to anyone and treat them as the most important person in the world. That Mill segment is talking to him. Uh, Worship Brother Barnes has been very influential on me. Uh, he's taught me a lot. He's taught me a lot of things not to do from time to time. <laughs> uh, Worship Brother Kushner, Worship Brother Mazahari, uh, which were the guys that were mastered the two years after him. Uh, I've I try to learn from everyone. Uh, some guys I have a harder time learning from. But um, I was sitting talking to one of our sideline brethren, and he was asking me about becoming an officer. And he's a guy that I didn't always didn't always know how to take him. But he has this real passion for the craft that he's not always quite sure. Excuse me, how to express. Um, but I had a about thirty minute discussion with him. Uh, I was looking for a new roommate, and he was interested, and uh, he, so he came over to my house, and afterwards we were talking about masonry, and uh, it was really interesting, like somebody that I didn't quite know what to what to make of for a long time, and having a discussion with him, and he was pointing out things that I hadn't even thought about uh, on how to uh, how to develop people in the lodge. A lot of times, um, I think it's very easy to say, oh, well, you know, I just don't feel like, you know, dealing with that, that aspect of the craft. Or easy to write somebody off. For yeah. Sure. Um, and I never, I'm really careful not to do that. Um, but it's something that I want to kind of bring forward a little bit more because I think it, it is very easy to do, and I think a lot of us do it. It takes work, and I've even had that experience during these interviews. There are brothers that... You know, maybe I didn't really want to interview. Yeah. 
if I didn't want to interview him, that was even more reason to interview him, yeah. right? Because why would I not want to interview a brother, right? right. So, and it's the same thing you said. Sometimes you don't realize until you talk to somebody what they're thinking. And that's the, the beauty of masonry. All men from different walks of life, different faiths, different backgrounds, and, and that's what we get from each other. Yeah. What would you say, you know, in closing, I guess, what would you say to Masons or curious people who might be listening to this in 50 or 100 years or, or just in general, what would you say about closing? Um, we all have to find a way that we need to learn, we need to grow uh, if, we want to, if we want to become better people. And not everyone wants to do that. Um, masonry is going to best, best serve you as a brother, as a member, if that's what you want, that's what we're here for. The um, rather trite tagline, if we take good men and make them better, the reason why it's said so much is because it's exactly what we do. If you have that interest, if you're willing to, to think for yourself, if you're willing to think and learn from others, then you have a real opportunity to use some amazing resources from guys who care and sometimes I wonder why they care so much. Um, for anyone that's read the Pickwick Papers, which I couldn't quite get through, I read the first hundred pages or so, there's a story about a bunch of guys that are in a club together, and they love this club, club to death. And I was like, so, but why do they love it? They love it because they love it. Uh, masonry, you have guys that love the craft so much, and I'm really not sure why, but they do. And they're willing to do everything and anything for the craft and for the people in the craft, for the brethren in the craft. Whether it's, you know, I'm stuck at the airport, can someone please get me, which uh, I was flying back from, I went to Mardi Gras last year. So I got a bunch of friends, uh, sadly no brothers, but I got a bunch of friends. I flew down to Pensacola where my brother was living at the time, drove over to New Orleans with them, spent a couple days um, having a lot of fun going to the parades, going to the bars, drove back to Pensacola, was at the airport in Pensacola, trying to get back to D.C. to go home. And the flight from Nashville to D.C.A. was canceled due to snow. And then the flight, and they observed they were booked me to Baltimore, and that got canceled. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so I'm on the phone with Southwest <clears throat> Customer Service saying, hey, what's going on? And they said, well, get off the plane. Okay, now what? Well, we'll book you tomorrow. Is the flight still going to Nashville? Yeah. I'll just stay on the plane. Well, sir, it's weather-related. We're not going to give you a hotel room. It's all right. I called two brothers in Nashville. Uh, one was a member of my lodge that moved down there, and the other one was a friend that I met through work. And he, was, uh, he had done work with some coworkers of mine. And uh, he was a brother, and they said, oh, yeah, we've got a guy that's a brother. He works next door. We call him the Cheetah. The oh, I've got to meet this guy named the Cheetah. <laughs> the Cheetah. So apparently the, the nickname came from I walked into work hungover one day, and uh, they were rather cheerily quipped, oh, look what the cat drug in today. I was like, no, I took a Cheetah this morning. And so that was my nickname. So you're the Cheetah. I'm the Cheetah. I'm going to call this interview Meet the Cheetah. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I met this guy and uh, another brother that happened to be in D.C. at the time at an Applebee's in a semi-rough neighborhood in Maryland because it was the only place that was kind of convenient for everyone. But I called him, uh, his name's Jason, uh, Papa Fotis, 
I uh, was past master of his lodge in Nashville last year, and I called uh, Matt Yabruti, who was a member of my lodge, and said, hey guys, I'm flying to Nashville, my flight to D.C. has been canceled, and they said, don't worry, we'll take care of you. So Matt said, hey, you can get your ride out to my house, I've got dinner tonight, but I'll be back at this time, keys under the mat for you if you want it. Uh, Jason said, hey, uh, I'm hanging out with my buddies from my band. You're welcome to come out there. Or the brother that I met uh, at that Applebee's in Maryland, he lives right downtown. Why don't you give him a call? So I gave him a call, caught a taxi to his house, and just spent the night. I met the guy once before, and he took care of me like I was family. Wow. Yeah. And then I went back to his house for Halloween. <laughs> so definitely knowing that you can count on brothers and, and reach out and feel like you have that immediate bond is a, is a big thing. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking time to, to thank you. spend this, this interview with me, and uh, good luck on your travels. Thank you very much.